Well, good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Wherever two or three are gathered, guess what? Jesus shows up. That's what the word says. I want to talk to you straight on today about a subject, and that subject is worship. I'm an NCAA guy. I think some of you already heard that from the last couple of weeks, so I'm in the throes of watching all these games. How many of you watching all the games? Yeah, a few of you. If you were in Indiana, where basketball started, you all be raising your hands. We were all engaged. That's where I came from. But you know, with uh, these games, there's a lot of been a lot of good games, underdog teams, you know, knocking off the uh, the Bluebreds and uh, all that's going on. There's a lot of excitement in an arena concerning a game of sports. You've been there. You've cheered on your favorite team, right? A mass assembly of people gathered for the purpose of cheering on their team. Well, when you come on a Sunday morning, it's a gathering of people who are gathered for a purpose, but it's not for a temporal win or even the win of a tournament. This gathering that we're a part of once every seven days has to do with all of eternity. And it has to do with your life and how God has wired and made you. That video clip you just saw had some different quotes concerning the subject of worship. And the one that struck me the most was this one. It was this one by uh, Emerson that said, what, And what greater calamity can fall upon a nation than the loss of worship? We live in a very individualistic Western culture that's about success and prosperity and having what you want. And it's so easy to get distracted from worship of the one true God. And because we get distracted, our life goes down all kinds of other paths, trying to seek fulfillment and wonder and purpose and meaning and our identity and those kinds of things. But friends, Scripture teaches us quite clearly that worship is front and center because God is front and center, and you and I were called to worship our Creator. And when a nation begins to slip away from a heart of worship, there's danger. There's danger. And that's what he's saying with this particular quote. The other quote that sort of gripped me a little bit from that video of all those different kinds of quotes concerning worship was this by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis says, It's in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. Well, I wish God would show up in my life. I haven't heard from the Lord in a long time. And whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, or you're a seeker of God and trying to figure out where the God thing sort of fits in your piece, and maybe you haven't been in church forever, I don't know. You need to understand this. When you begin to seek God, and you begin to have a desire to worship God if He exists in your mind, if you're not a Christ follower, then God will reveal Himself to you. But if you stay in distraction mode, busy, 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 doing all your different kinds of things, you will never experience much of the presence of God in your life. Because it's in the heart of worship, of giving worth to Him, of seeking Him. You know, those who seek me will find me when they seek me with all of their heart, the Scripture says. 
When you get that posture of worship and that posture of desiring to attribute praise to God for who He is, God strangely is able to draw near to you, not so much because He's been absent, but you've been absent. Check it out. I got other things to do. God, I'll get back to you someday, some year. When I'm all grown up, I'll do that God thing. Well, you can go that course, but I tell you what, you're going to waste a lot of years of your life for what you were made and created to do and to be. This wasn't a quote up there. This is one that's carried through for the ages. It's out of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was like a class you would take to say, these are the official truths to hold on to. And it says this, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In other words, you were made, you were created with a DNA to glorify God and to enjoy His presence forever. That's why God created this world. That's why He created mankind. And mankind refers to man, men, women, old, young, Everybody, if you want to know what your purpose in life needs to be, it's embedded right there. Your chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy his presence forever. And like I said, you can't really enjoy his presence forever, right? Unless you seek his presence, you find yourself in his presence, and then you attribute to him the worth that is due his name. The word worship is worth, ship, attributing worth, to him who is due the glory, honor, and praise. You know, Jesus, uh, he encountered a bunch of scraggly people that were double-minded, going in all different kinds of directions. Some of them were a bunch of religious people that were just caught up in the institution of religion. There were other groups of people that were outcasts, and uh, they didn't know if they really could worship God. They were second-class citizens. They were called Samaritans. And Jesus spoke to the woman who was a Samaritan at the well, and we get the only reference Jesus gives straight on about worship. Do you know what it is? It comes out of this passage in John 4, 23, the words of Jesus himself. So if Jesus is standing up here, we'd invite him up like we invited Rick up for announcements today. Jesus, come on up here. What would you say? And Jesus shows, shows up in front of all of you. Say, hey, it's good to see you all. Thanks for gathering for worship today. He'd say this, but the time is coming. The time is coming. Indeed, it's here. Now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, you came this morning not to cheer on your favorite team. You came here this morning for, I don't know, why did you come here this morning? come here to see some friends to come here to check your kids in so you didn't have to watch them for an hour <laughs> to come here because you knew you need to sign up for the burritos on saturday men right if you come here because you know hey i like the band and the music a little bit I like that i'll endure pastor carrie's teaching for however long he goes why did you come did you come to worship 
If you're going to worship, Jesus says, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. We're in a series called Unshakable, Hope in Uncertain Times. In 1 Peter, it's a letter that Peter wrote, the Apostle Peter, to Christians who were struggling because they were under oppression, their very lives were threatened in many ways. And we've carried a little bit of the theme through. It's like Ukraine and the refugees and the dispersing of people out of Ukraine and all these different countries, right? And that's what had happened. There was a dispersing of Christians to run from safety because what was happening at Rome at the time. And he wrote this letter in 1 Peter to say, hey, let me give you hope in uncertain times to be unshakable. And in this aspect of being unshakable, we now come to a passage today where he talks front and center about what I want to talk to you about from my own heart even, and that is the subject of worship. Because Jesus said to worship him in spirit and truth. And so we have an awful lot to learn concerning the heart of true worship. You know, Jesus was bothered by people who went through religious motions but they weren't sincere from the heart. He called it out all the time. And there was a lot of religious ritual going on in his day, going on in Peter's day. And he sort of said, identifies us. Are you going to worship me genuinely with your spirit and your spirit connecting with my spirit as you seek me to do the chief end of what I created you for, which was to glorify me and enjoy my presence forever? Are, are, are you going to be sincere and genuine? And this is going to be a regular part of your life, not just once every seven days when we gather, but every day. And are you going to worship me in truth as well? Not going down all the pageants of, uh, paths of things that the world teaches that, you know, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Hey, you do your thing. I'll do my kind of thing. Truth. There is truth. There is absolute truth. And we pursue absolute truth with our hearts. And in our spirit, we seek him. And it's Jesus, right, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you are sincere, a genuine seeker of truth and your purpose and your meaning in life, and you are pressing into that each and every day, you will come to a place where you bend your knee, where you're prostrate, and you're worshiping God because this is who God made you to be. And so when we gather together, we are gathering together, as Peter's going to state, we are gathering together as living stones to be built together into a holy place, into a holy temple. And we worship. My schedule's pretty full. I don't know if I can make it. I commute every day, Carrie. Sunday's my day to sleep in. Friends, that are all legitimate kinds of reasons why we don't gather. But when we neglect gathering on a regular basis to worship, and we neglect worshiping day in and day out, not by ritual and routine and sacrament, all that kind of thing, but by genuine spirit and truth, when we pursue that, we become fully alive. Fully alive. And so let's step into what Peter exhorts them to in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious, precious to him. Now, 
embedded in this, and you got to understand, something starts to change here with Peter. If you look at the verses we looked at last week, he was talking about grow, stay away from evil desires, you know, uh, hunger for pure spiritual milk, and then all of a sudden, he shifts this analogy to one that he's describing here as stones. He's going to hang with the stone analogy for a while. And he's looking at the people, and he's realizing that they're shaky, they're wobbly, and uh, some things are going on. And he reminds them of the strength that stone represents and that Jesus is the living stone, not a dead stone. He's alive, and he's called us to be living stones as well. But when it says here, he was rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, He's giving context for what not only was going on in the year 64 AD, but in the years every, ever since. There is this battle going on as to if you're going to accept your innate calling and how you're wired, or if you're going to reject the one who is the true living stone. And worship is defined in many ways by his first phrase here. What does he say? As you come to him. Yep, I got it. I'm good on my own. App, I got it. I'm going to go down this path. App, I got it. I'll do the church thing a little bit here, but I'm just going through the motions. You come to him. You're going to worship him in spirit and truth, but you're going to come to him. Now I'll have to admit, even as a pastor, right, this is my job. I'm supposed to spend time with God. I'm supposed to spend time worshiping God and studying his word and encouraging others concerning a relationship with God. But do you know that even pastors get their lives so caught up in the busyness sometimes of church stuff and other things and family that I fail to come to God on a daily, regular basis? I'm like, how did it get to be 8 o'clock at night? I didn't get everything done on my checklist today, right? We have to, as human beings, discern each and every day if we are coming to God and being found in his presence because he has the life to give to us. He goes on and he says this, then, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also then, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We don't have the context for that first century. But what Peter's referencing here is the whole concept of a temple, a spiritual house. And this is what happened in Scripture. In the Old Testament, when God called the Israelites to be established in the land of Canaan, the promised land, and he gave that land to them, he told them to tear down all the places of worship where they were worshiping idols or other kinds of gods. And so when Israel came into the promised land, that's exactly what they did. And they were told to worship God in a particular location so it didn't get watered down and spread out, everybody doing their own different kinds of thing and going off on paths that eventually they find are paths that go nowhere. We're going to establish, God said, a prominent place for worship. And so the tabernacle turned into the temple, and Solomon built this temple, and that temple carried its way 
forward through to the days of Jesus. The temple that was there wasn't the original one of Solomon built because it had been rebuilt a couple different times, but there's this huge, magnificent, incredibly large, beautiful, innate temple that sat in the heart of Jerusalem because that's where God decided for it to be. And so historically, if you were going to worship God, you would go to the temple in Jerusalem. That's where you offered the sacrifices. That's where you mixed and mingled with others that were pursuing Yahweh. The temple was the place to be. And if you weren't there, you had to travel there. Or if you were 100 miles away, you would turn and sort of pray towards the direction of Jerusalem and the temple. And so it was described to them continuously ascribed to them that they needed to worship at the temple. But one of the things Jesus said in his latter weeks was not one stone's going to re- uh, stay upon another. This temple is going to be destroyed. Temple's going to be destroyed. Oh. When Peter's writing this letter, AD 64, to people dispersed in the what's now Turkey area, It was still standing. But Peter knew the prophecy. Peter knew the prophecy that the temple was going to be destroyed, and the temple was destroyed in the year 70 A.D. by the Romans, and uh, what was taken over, and that's not been rebuilt since. If you go to Jerusalem today, there's the temple platform area. There's actually a mosque on it, actually a couple different mosques, but the temple has never been rebuilt to worship God, Yahweh himself. But something changed. Something changed, and Peter's giving reference to it. Because he's saying it's not about these big pillars, these big stones in the block and going to a particular building. It's now that you are going to become the living stones because Jesus is the living stone. And we're going to look at that in a second. Jesus is the living stone, and you are a part of his life if you've invited him into your life. And so you are a living stone. And what's being built today is not a physical structure that's humongous and incredibly beautiful. What's being built today is the body of Christ, the church, which means called out ones to follow him. And we are a part of the spiritual building because we are the living stones. Appreciate that, Carrie. Got a lot on my schedule today. I'm not sure where I'm going to eat at, but glad I'm here. No In-N-Out burgers after church today. That's a bummer, but that was really good last week. And uh, just pause a moment in time. What are you pursuing? What are you a part of? Are you a part of the eternal, big, spiritual house that's being built? Living stones, worshiping God called into your eternal presence to glorify God and enjoy his presence forever. And so Peter's exhorting these people that are troubled, stand true, stand strong, get excited, move towards, come back to the place where you know this is what was my destiny, to be a worshiper of God and worship him in spirit and truth. And so what happens today is we no longer have a temple. Hey, let's all do the temple trip. Everybody want to go to the temple? Let's sign up. We'll take the buses to the airport, get on the planes. We'll go to Jerusalem. There's the temple. We'll have our day or two there, and then we'll come back. 
There is no program announcement from Pastor Zach concerning that. Now, someday I'd like to have a trip to Israel with a church family, that kind of thing. That sounds pretty cool. Because we don't need to go there. We're here. And so God shifted things with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the New Testament church then, away from the Old Testament church, so that his presence, the spiritual house, the temple, wasn't at one place. It was wherever the living stones gather in his name, there is the presence of God and a place to worship. And so what he's describing here is the new day. They didn't quite understand it. The temple was still there. He says this is what's happening. They're rejecting the living stones, but he's taking the the living stone. He's taking living stones, putting it together into a spiritual house. And what does it go on to say then? Like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. Well, they understood this. They'd had the priest deal a long time. You know, there's priests today, Catholic priests, right? And the idea of a priest is somebody who's an intermediary. In other words, excuse me, you're not good enough to go into that holy place. Allow me to go in there. I am going to offer um, what's needed in there to make some of the reconciliation with God. So the priest, a priesthood of all believers, Um, is what we're getting to here. It was the new concept for the day that you are a priesthood, a holy priesthood. We've talked about the word holy here in the last few weeks. It means set apart, something different. You now have access into the very presence of God. We have Good Friday service coming up. And what happened? One of the things that happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was an earthquake and the veil, a six-inch thick veil between where the commoners were and where the priests could go, it was rent in two from top to bottom and it opened wide the holy of holy places and basically saying everyone who is a believer and follower of the high priest, Jesus Christ, the living stone, now has access into this incredible place of worship. And so... You move from a structured priesthood to the priesthood of all believers and the holy priesthood. Now, you may say, that's a big concept. I don't know if that really matters. I'm I'm trying to get my head around that. We're going to the next verse pretty soon. What's going on? This concept of the holy priesthood that you and I as living stones are a part of that spiritual temple being built and being able to go in the very presence of God rocked my world when I was younger and continues to rock it every week of my life. Because in my busy, 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 busy world, I sometimes stray from that which is the most beautiful privilege I have is just to sit in the presence of God and to worship Him, to hear from Him, yes, to study about Him, to offer my praise and my prayer back to Him. I get to be someone who gets to go into the most holy place. I don't have to get there through someone else. And if you've ever been taught that you can't go straight to God, you got to go to a priest or some other type of spiritual pastor or something in order to be able to access to God, that is a lie. You can find yourself in the presence of God. And maybe some of your challenges in life is because we're not practicing the privilege that we've been given. 
And when you do that as individuals, and then we come together as living stones to do that here in a gathering such as this, we become that beacon temple for a world in need. You know, it's interesting in First Peter, if you look there, if you remember back to the very first passages, he was uh, giving reference to where all this is at. And, and where he referenced is that it says this in those first, that first verse, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's like saying, okay, for... Those who are exiled, maybe feel exiled that way, but you're gathered in different communities. For those who are in Marietta, Temecula, Lake Elsinore, Fallbrook, Hemet, Menifee, as we're scattered, wherever we're gathered, in those places that we're scattered, we are now the temple of God, and you are the priest. So when we walk in on a Sunday morning, this is a high privilege. When we choose to neglect being a part of the movement of God through the dispersing of the temple of living stones, we are falling short of what God has offered for us to participate in. And it's in that participation that you will find your greatest strength and joy. And so he's coming back to them. I don't know how they were able to gather or not able to gather in those days, but he was saying to them, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. You need to gather where you're at as living stones and be the presence of God and worship him. And it will be a beacon of light to a world that needs to get back to their place and their purpose, which is to be worshipers and glorify God forever. It goes on and says this then in Second in First Peter 2, 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, listen, I don't know if you know this, but the word, uh, Peter's name was Cephas. And Cephas means, do you know what it means? Rock, all right? And so he sort of had this kindred spirit with the analogy of a stone or a rock. And what he does here, and he must have been doing a personal study on his own about all the places that stones are used in Scripture. And he references Old Testament passages and pulls them out. This one is Isaiah 28, 16. The next one. Now to you who believe the stone is precious, but to one who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. In this, he's pulling out. Psalm 118, 22, Isaiah 8, 14. He's gathering all these stone analogies, and he's saying, listen, Jesus is the living stone. We're living stones because he is the living stone, the cornerstone. And then we're being built into the spiritual house, but you need to know what's going on. There's a lot to be said about the stone idea. And the stone idea that it's a precious stone, that it's going to be rejected, all right? It goes on the latter part then of uh, verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. He's mindful that this whole analogy of stone has a lot of depth into it from the Old Testament, meaning for today. But what he sees happening is people stumbling all over Jesus, the living stone. And one of the stones mentioned here is really the capstone, the peak stone. 
And the analogy is like if uh, builders were putting together a building not with the cement blocks, but all different kinds of stones, which was in true in that day. You had large stones, big cornerstones. You'd place them there. You had your pillars, and they were going along. There was a whole bunch of other stones over here, and, and the foreman would go over and sort of inspect them. Oh, this one will work. That one will work. And then he saw one dweeby little stone that sort of had this cockeyed kind of character to it, and he says, that's not worth it. So he sort of gives it a boot and kicks it down the hill. When it's kicked down the hill, it rolls in front of, I don't know, some kid on his bicycle, and the kid on the bicycle falls, and he gets hurt, and then uh, is like, well, how'd he get hurt? And somebody, neighbor standing by, is like, that stupid stone takes the stone, throws the stone in the dumpster kind of deal, says, forget that kind of stone. Then the foreman uh, that's there, he has the boss, the main craftsman for all the architectural design comes, and he says, all right, now we're ready for, we're ready for that capstone. Now, where's that capstone at? He looks and looks. What? Where's it at? It's gone. So, so, you, you mean that dweeby little cockeyed little? Well, Foreman, he kicked it down the hill, and then somebody down there threw it into a dumpster. He's like, what? That was the perfect stone to, to tie it all together, to be the precipice, to be the beauty of it. And you did what? So they go, and they find it, dig it out of the dumpster, and there it is. And then you put it up there. It's like, well, why would you reject that stone? But there's this rejection that's going on in our culture day in and day out. You're challenged with it. I'm challenged with it. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home. But Jesus is the living stone, the cornerstone, the capstone, the stone that others rejected. He's represented as something valuable, and you have to choose, am I going to reject it? and move into my own agenda in life? Or am I going to take that living stone, that capstone, and put it in the top beauty of who I am and live in those dimensions? So Peter's into this big-time analogy with stones. But behind the analogy is this understanding of the temple. And behind the temple is the understanding of worship. And behind worship is the understanding of who you and I are created to be. And so we need to make sure that in uncertain times, we are not neglecting worship, even if there's tragedy that would befall us. And then he moves to a passage in verse 9 and 10 that I've carried with me for three decades. Part of me this morning says, you know, I'm going to, put up some nice simple how-tos and statements. But I decided that this verse has to carry the weight on its own. Because this verse is one of those to memorize, to put in your heart, to understand. In fact, um, in a long time, I thought I had referenced this verse earlier in years past, but it had been a long time, and it wasn't even on my laptop when I tried to go back to say, when did I speak on this passage once? It wasn't there. I knew I had a folder on it, and the folder was in all those big boxes in my garage that my wife says, why did we bring those here from Indiana? I knew it was in there, and so I said, I'm going to find that folder. And I went, and I did. I, it took me a few boxes, but I found that folder, and I found the notes. It's usually when I used to handwrite my notes. And this goes all the way back, which is striking to me, all the way back to early years, back into 1985, 86, and I thought, man, I've carried it with me for that many years. 
this verse, this heart of what I want to share with you now, and it ties in with all of this that we've just presented. Peter says this, but you, 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 everyone, we're all human beings, but you, but you, as a human being who seeks to follow God, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may. Now, what I want to do is I want to connect the first three words with those next, those last three words in this part. You are this so that you may. What's your purpose? What did God wire you to be? Well, you are these things, and we're going to talk about those in a second. But you need to know this. It's your intrinsic identity. This is who you are. You are this in order that you may do something. And what is it that you're to do? You are this so that you may declare the praises of him. Right there. It's in your DNA. You know, there's a lot that we can't change about our life. You can't change uh, your ethnicity. Uh, I can't change, well, I guess I could. I, I could dye my hair. My kids told me to do it once. I did it. It was a mess. That was just <laughs> dumb. I have white hair. I'm going to have white hair. Right? I went gray early kind of thing. You can't change, like, the family you were born into. There's innate gifts you have. When I watch those NCAA players, I'm like, oh, that'd be nice to just rise above the rim and slam dunk that. I do not have any leaping ability. I was 6'3", but I can't get off the ground. There's just certain innate things, you know. You know, each of us are created a certain way. And you may try to change that way, right? But you ultimately can't. Well, I need to let you know this morning, if, if wherever you're at in life, you were created as a human being in the image of God, and created in the image of God, you were created to be a worshiper. And anything you do contrary or distracting from ultimately becoming a worshiper is not going to bring you the ultimate fulfillment and the joy and the success that you have in life. Now, being a worshiper can bring you challenges and struggles and trials. But being a worshiper, this is who you are. You are that you may be someone who declares the praises of him, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so when you're called into this wonderful light with him and you begin to worship and praise him, it starts to click after a while. Some of the people I recently led to the Lord or have opportunity to pray with the lead to the Lord, um, uh, one of them moved down to state, and I just have a joy uh, seeing his life uh, become alive. It's like, why did I wait so long to become a worshiper of God? Gone down all different kinds of paths. But, but now, this, and, and what is it? You can't even explain it to other people, but something. You can live in, in rejection and trying to push things back, but ultimately, who we're wired, our DNA, uh, it's to be a worshiper of God. So when you walk into that, you start to become more fully alive than you ever were before. Doesn't mean life goes easy street. There was a lot of rejection. Jesus rejected. But your essence of who God made you to be 
was to be in relationship with God and worship him. And so you are that you may be because he's called you out of darkness into light. And this goes back to the first part of the letter where he talks about the living hope that we've been given. We've been made spiritually alive, a new nature, a new disposition, right? We've become alive. But this is what I want to ask you in this. Well, it goes on to say, once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to go back to verse 9 and ask you this. But you are a blank. How would you fill that in right now if we had to do a test? What's your identity? How do you feel about yourself? You are a blank. I remember sharing with somebody once, and they said that I'm a piece of crap, except they used a more descriptive term. And I'm like, that's sad. That's not who God created you to be. Or maybe it's not that you're down and, and really struggling with some of that kind of deeper identity issues of a lack of self-worth or right. But, you know, it's like I am, uh, you know, uh, uh, I am, I am, you are a blank. I am a uh, successful business person or I am a uh, very nurturing mother or I am a uh, person who identifies with their vocation, whether, you know, they're um, an engineer or a teacher or a nurse or whatever it may be. And what, what's your identity? Peter's saying, uncertain times, go back to your identity. You are a fill-in-the-blank. And then he gives four descriptive terms, and these terms you saw, which walk through them quickly one at a time. You are a chosen people. First thing I want to give acknowledgement to here is your identity is not in your individual personhood. Your identity is in your corporateness of who you are as a people. So when we gather as a people of God on a Sunday morning, this is your destiny moving forward. I was challenged recently in a conversation with someone who was talking about worship, and they said they didn't really care for the church life. Because whenever they got up front in church life, they started to see all the uglies. And I said, well, you got to remember, you know, we're not, a, we're not a showcase for saints at church, a local church. We're, we're a hospital for sinners, and all of us have sinned, and we come together. But corporately together with Christ living in us, we are living stones. And there's something about the community of Christ and the body and the church. And we're all going to be living together eternally someday with God as he calls his church into heaven. So we might as well get used to it now. But they had a focus and a desire for worship, rightly so. But they had, had maybe some church hurt or been up close to it, and I can appreciate that. Our identity is not as individuals. Our identity is as the body of Christ. And if I say I love my wife, I'm just not loving the head of my wife. I'm loving the whole being of my wife. And if you want to love Jesus, you've got to love the whole body, warts and all. Because our destiny is this. And then we rework our destiny around this aspect that we are a chosen people. God has picked you. He's called you. Whether he's called you to himself years ago, maybe in recent weeks he called him to yourself, or maybe you're here this morning wrestling with where is God's purpose at in my life. We are called to him. We're picked. We're chosen. We're a chosen people, Peter says. Get that as part of your fill-in-the-blank identity. And then get a hold of this, that we are a royal priesthood. We, we have access into that very place. And, and royal means kingly, right? And we get to go into that access of place. 
You know, in, in the old days with the temple, they couldn't get access into the Holy of Holies any more than you could walk into uh, the White House Oval Office today. You don't have access. You can't go there. Hey, you're out of here, buddy. But with Jesus Christ, we have access. We are the priest. We come in. And so we are the priesthood of all believers. We are kingly. We are royal because he is the king. So again, it's a plural corporate identity. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. And then what does it add? A holy nation. Holy means set apart. A new uh, species, a new kind of dimension of people, a new nation that will live with him forever. And then the fourth one. I change it up in the original. You know, there's two NIV versions. There's the 84 version, and then there's the newer version. I don't like the newer version. So the original one, as it became endeared to me a number of years ago, was we are a people belonging to God. That's my kid. Over here, over here. Don't, don't mess with my kid. These are mine. They're my possession. They're my belongings. God's special possession of people belonging to God. So all four of these fill-in-the-blanks, don't have to do, well, you have to excuse me sometimes. Words come to my head, I'll just say it. Your narcissistic interest in life, even in the Christian faith. Our identity, fill in the blank, has to do with this corporate gathering of believers, followers of the Lord. Not just this local one that's a representation of the temple, but everyone in every place that are true worshipers of Jesus. Our identity is in the corporate body of Christ. We are these things so that what? so that we may declare the praises of him who what called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light i want to sum some things up here and then i want to bring a couple up and introduce you to them i long I long for the power and the presence of the Lord in every gathering that we have. But I know that that power and that presence has to do with where our heart and our focus is at. So my desire in exhorting us on this worship theme today in this unshakable series is to call us back afresh and anew. What I'd like to do every week, actually, but time doesn't afford, is say, this is why we're together. This is why it's important not to neglect the assembly of the believers. Not so you can check church attendance off on your list, but there's something going on as God is building us together as living stones locally and globally. He's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We were not a people before, but now we are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's worship. I want to invite...